Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. My name is Reagan and I'm 15 years old. I'll be a 10th grader in high school this year. Being a teenager is definitely not as easy as they make it seem in the movies. And one of the hardest parts of being a teenager is the stress of fitting in with people around me. With that stress, we also have to deal with bullying. Last year, a kid in my grade spread a rumor about me, telling other kids terrible things and made sure they knew that hanging out with me was a bad idea. Thanks to social media, the rumors spread very quickly, and before I knew it, there was nobody else at my lunch table except my best friend and I. I felt helpless because anything I said, no one would believe. I felt alone, and eventually that turned into sadness. Kids my age can be really mean these days. When will bullying stop? You just heard from one of our guests, Reagan Rubicki, a high school student at Gross Point South. Thank you for your courage for sharing your story. Also joining us today is Lisa Corey, school psychologist at the Gross Point Schools, and Dr. Marlene Seltzer, an OBGYN and founder of Noble, an anti-bullying initiative at Beaumont Children's. Thank you all for being here today. Among high school students, 15.5% are cyberbullied and 20.2% are bullied on school property. About 75% of students admit they have visited a website that bashes other students. One in seven students in grade K through 12 are either a bully or have been a victim of bully. An estimated 160,000 US children miss school every day due to the fear of attack or intimidation by other students. Students who experience bullying are at increased risk for depression, anxiety, sleep difficulties, headaches, stomach aches, poor school performance. Students who are bullying others are at increased risk for substance abuse, depression, anxiety, and delinquent behaviors. And only one out of 10 victims will ever inform a parent or a trusted adult about their abuse. So Lisa, can you share with me what is your earliest memory of being bullied? So I was in a parochial school uh, for elementary, uh, first grade through eighth grade, and it was a very small school. Uh, we had the whole total population of the school was like 80. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was very tiny. And so um, around fifth grade or so, there was uh, some uh, social isolation that I experienced. Uh, one of the girls in the, uh, the class decided that nobody was going to be talking to me. I never found out what it was about or why, but um, I was ostracized. And so we had recess and like the whole school's out for recess and nobody's with me. Oh no. It was sad. And so I was by myself and um, and people would be playing, and then I was by myself at lunch, and went on for weeks, and I never really did find out what it was. And then just one day, things went back to normal, and I was oh. like, okay. Thank <laughs> goodness, yes, right? Yes, thank goodness. And so that was, that was hard. It yeah. was really hard. You know, I remember um, I was probably like eight or nine years old, and uh, I'd be going to the bus stop, and there was always this kid that would pick on me at the bus stop, and it'd always be some kind of racial thing. Mm -hmm. So he would call me the N-word, or he called me poop face, like all sorts of things. And I remember always having so much anxiety walking to the bus stop, and um, and I'd be waiting for the bus driver to come, because as soon as we got on the bus, I felt safe. 
Um, but the difference was is that I only kind of dealt with that bullying on like at the bus stop. Mm-hmm. And then once I was in school, it sort of ended. So it wasn't like this constant kind of stress of being bullied. It was a daily bullying, but it wasn't all day. Mm-hmm. Where I feel like bullying now has changed so much. Um, uh, Reagan, like in your your day, it's it's more constant because of social media, right? Can, like, how do you think bullying has changed or what kinds of bullying have you seen? Well, now that there's social media, there's so many different kinds of ways people can hurt other people. And I think a big part of it is because they can hide behind a screen mm-hmm. and hurt other people without actually seeing them face to face. And I feel like when they do that, their guilt, some, a lot of their guilt actually goes away because they don't have to see that the person they're hurting is sad or upset. And a big issue is other people can get on board with it too. So yeah. other people, they can make big groups to bash another person yeah. or they can just go at it through social media and it can happen really quickly. Issues can escalate really quick. Rumors can spread really easily all around the school really fast. And I think there's just, it's definitely changed a lot and it keeps changing more and more. Yeah, I feel day. like it's a lot more devastating because mm-hmm. like I said, when I was growing up, I had that issue at the bus stop and the only people who heard it were the people at my bus stop yeah and it wasn't going viral and shared and posted and all of that stuff where people at home at school and other cities could all you know share in the bullying now everybody hears it i mean you can anybody can hear anywhere they can search your picture on instagram or snapchat and anybody can see it and anybody can gang up on you and it just is a lot worse now, for sure. It's very stressful. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Seltzer, you know, what is bullying? How is it different from just being made fun of? And why does it happen? Bullying is really defined as unwanted aggressive behavior with the intent to do harm. It involves a real or perceived power imbalance. And the behavior is repetitive or has a high likelihood of being repeated. Why does it happen? It's sort of the million dollar question. It's always about power, mm-hmm. but it's about what's driving that need for power. You know, sometimes they're modeling behavior they've seen at home. Sometimes their friends are bullying and they're joining in. Sometimes it's accepted community or school norms. Mm-hmm. There might be an underlying mental health diagnosis that's, that's driving it. We know that youth with mental health disorders are three times more likely to bully others. Mm-hmm. Um, they might be acting out because of something that's happening. They may have previously been a victim and are now trying to protect themselves in sort of a maladaptive way. So there's a variety of reasons, but it's always something that's driving the need for power to try and make themselves feel better. Oftentimes, parents and siblings don't even know that their child's being bullied. You know, they might just notice some change in behavior. But what are some signs that your child is being bullied? So as a parent, like, how could I tell if my child's being bullied? What you're just looking for really are changes in behavior or habits. So changes in sleeping habits, eating habits, socialization. Are they becoming more withdrawn? You know, and sometimes, especially in the teenage years, people sort of dismiss it like, oh, my child's moody, they're just staying in their room all the time. Mm-hmm. But you always want to explore that, even if you get the eye roll and the, you know, sigh. Yeah. You always want to try and investigate what's happening to see. Um, you might see if there's physical bullying, unexplained injuries, or loss of possessions, or destroyed possessions. Um, really, you know, avoiding social situations where someone previously might have been social. Mm-hmm. And I would, speaking to the school's perspective, too, is that you can always let your school counselor know or school psychologist or social worker uh, to sort of keep an eye on and say, look, I'm, I'm wondering about, you know, these changes I've been seeing with Johnny or Susie. Um, have you seen anything at school? Because um, sometimes that's that's a big place of where it, it all comes out um, or some of the manifestations and in, in the school setting. Do you notice, is there a way that 
uh, the school sort of tracks and sees if people are exhibiting signs of being bullied without them reporting it to you? Sometimes. Teachers are really adept. Mm -hmm. They know their kids. Uh, They spend a lot of time day after day with students who are really um, uh, in a variety of situations and settings. And so it's uh, they, they really have a really good handle, uh, typically on students and their uh, sort of their overall health or well-being. And um, they will often tip off the school social worker, the psychologist, or the school uh, counselors to say, you know, hey, I, you know, so-and-so is not, you know, the same or whatever. Sometimes, uh, oftentimes, teachers will also reach out to parents. But, but that would be another really good way to, uh, to check your, um, your good parent sense. I remember um, there was a kid in school that had a disability and was just made fun of all the time. And when I was in college, there was a girl that had Tourette syndrome and a a boy that had um, autism spectrum disordered. And I used to feel so bad about how much they were made fun of and they didn't really seem to have a lot of friends. So I would try to sit with them during our lunchtime and reach out to them, but I felt like they were so jaded that they weren't really interested in, in making friends. Um, you know, who is generally at risk for being bullied? Is it always people who might have uh, disabilities um, or just seem different than everyone else? And then what do you do if you're trying to reach out to them, trying to be, you know, be a friend to them, and you're sort of rejected? Right, so that is a, um, so yes, so students with disabilities or, or perceived differences or real differences are uh, often targeted or they're more likely to be targeted. Um, there are um, programs now though in schools that are really working towards um, leveling that playing field a little bit. Uh, there are a lot of social skills uh, groups that are formed that um, uh, impact both the students who have the disability as well as the students, uh, the typically developing students. Um, and um, I know at Gross Wine South and many of the Gross Wine schools, there's a peer-to-peer mm-hmm. program, which is very cool. So we link uh, the special needs students with the uh, typically developing students, and it's a place uh, they join together and they eat lunch together, or they do different um, uh, school activities together. And it's, to, again, to normalize um, the differences and to celebrate those differences. So I got I got to ask Reagan about this because <laughs> so I moved to a new high school in um, the tenth grade. So I had been in one school system, you know, very popular, had a lot of friends, and then I moved to a completely new system uh, in the tenth grade, and they had a peer to peer program. Mm-hmm. And so I had this girl who had to eat lunch with me, and she did not want to. Yeah. And I was dying of embarrassment that I had, like this girl had to eat lunch with me. And she was like, I'm your peer. And I'm like, all right. And so we would sit together. She wouldn't even talk to me and I hated it. So sometimes I think a lot of these programs are helpful, but how do you feel as a student if, if someone is, you know, some of these programs, it's like you have to report it and then people know you're in the program. Does, do you feel that that kind of discourages kids from using some of these programs because they feel like, oh, I'm a, I have to have friends sit with me at lunch and it's like rehearsed? Uh, I, yeah, I think it depends on the person. But for me, I mean, I'd love to sit with someone who <laughs> didn't have anybody to sit with, but that's just me. And unfortunately, a lot of kids, they're they don't they care about their status and Mm -hmm. that's the most important thing ever to them and so if they're seeing somewhere where they might get embarrassed or they might be humiliated or sitting with somebody else with a special need is uncool they won't do it because all they care about is how people see them and how 
they look to other people of it. One of the things that, that we do at Girls Find South or mm -hmm. many of the places, but it, it, at like the high school level, is oftentimes the uh, students are looking for community service hours. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of like a little carrot to sort of get them connected to to start. Uh, and we try to work with the students in terms of overcoming those obstacles about what happens if the student you're with doesn't want to talk. Right. What can? How can you get through that? So we do try to break that part down for them and help them understand why that other peer might not be um, as accepting um, and what they could do to sort of overcome that. And um, so we work through it that way. But typically, what happens is after the first couple of meetings, there are um, changes that occur in the general ed peer, the typically developing peer, where they really start to get to know somebody yeah. on a different level that they would have never sat down and talked to before. And then they start to hear different perspective about what life is like from somebody else's eyes who really has some big challenges. And it's really a cool thing to see. That's great. I love that they do that interactive activities because I think that sort of links it together a lot more. I'd just like to mention with regard to risk factors that there's not any single factor that puts someone at risk for being bullied, but there are a number of recognized risk factors, including youth with disabilities. Mm -hmm. Appearance is generally reported to be the most common reason youth are bullied. We know that obese youth are bullied 63% more than their normal weight peers. Youth with any sort of disability, learning disability, special health care needs, or chronic health problems, mm -hmm. often they're targeted because of those needs. For example, youth with food allergies are sometimes taunted with the food that they're allergic to. LGBTQ youth are particularly mm -hmm. vulnerable to the impact of being bullied. Yes. Um, sometimes it's achievements, academic or otherwise, that make somebody different. Really, anything that makes them different or stand out. And sometimes it's a threat to social status yes. or someone who's perceived as a romantic threat, and that can be the reason they're bullied. So the person who's doing that behavior can sort of secure their you know, place in the social hierarchy. So a lot of times victims of bullying, they think it's their fault. It's something that they did, and they're not cool enough, or they don't have what the other kids have and, it, and the self-blame. One of the most important messages we can give to youth who are targets of bullying is that it is not their fault. It is never their fault. The problem does not lie with them. It lies with the perpetrator of that sort of behavior. And unfortunately, many times people start to internalize those negative messages. And that's why it's so important for any adult who interacts with a youth who's being the target of bullying to reassure them emphatically that it's not their fault. And the other thing is, too, a lot of people are in denial that they are a bully. Um, they don't realize that they are hurting other people. And there, there's some questions that came up um, on an anti-bullying website that said, you know, do you gossip even if it's not true? Do you secretly envy somebody? Do you wish harm on somebody else? Do you exclude or punish or push people away when they've done something mean to you? Or do you harbor a grudge against somebody else? And if you've said yes to any of these questions, you are at risk of being a bully. So sometimes it's self-reflection, like, am I actually hurting someone else? I, I actually remember when I was a kid, there was a friend of ours, and we would tease him all the time. And it wasn't until he said, stop doing that, that that hurts my feelings, did I realize, oh my gosh, I'm actually hurting his feelings. Like, we were just kidding around, and it stopped. So a lot of times people don't realize that they themselves are the bully. And are there any strategies for people to recognize that, hey, I'm, I'm hurting someone. Well, often that's the intent of bullying behavior. 
And so if someone is engaged, if someone is teasing and they think that it's lighthearted mm-hmm. and they find out that they are hurting someone's feelings, usually they're immediately remorseful and that behavior stops. And that's just an education piece for that person. But for somebody whose intention is to hurt somebody else, then they know that they're successful. So it's two different, you know, one is sort of... A, mean teasing. An, right, an innocent mistake, if you will. Someone, a lighthearted teasing that initially was funny but now no longer is funny, you let that person know and it's over. Um, but for somebody who's, that's their goal, they're going to keep doing that. So there's a difference there. So walk me through that. So let's pretend you're in a situation where you're being bullied. What is going through the person's mind? Like someone is making fun of you. They're intentionally trying to hurt you. What are some ways to sort of quickly deal with that situation? I think you mentioned there are two types of kids. There's um, people that can come up with a witty remark. Um, what do you think? It's very individualized to um, the, the youth as well as their age. So young children might be able to say, stop, you know, that behavior is wrong. And, you know, that's never going to fly in high school. Mm-hmm. But at a young age, you might be able to get away with something like that. Humor, some people are very skillful at deflecting that kind of behavior or turning it into a humorous, situa- humorous situation. Other people, even if you gave them the line, would not be able to deliver it effectively. So it really depends a lot on the youth. You know, and so sometimes situations like role playing that they often do in schools is very helpful for someone finding a way that's comfortable for them. Other people are just going to need to get out of the situation as fast as they can and then find an adult to talk to about it and figure out a strategy or get help. So I remember uh, my cousin's daughter was five years old and she came up to me and said, um, you know, she's like, hey, um, auntie the girls at school make fun of me because I'm Indian and they ask me if I wear a dot on my head and you know they say that I smell and all these all these kinds of things and it it broke my heart and she wasn't you know she's not my daughter she's my niece and I said you know did you did you tell your mom and she said no I, I don't want my mom to worry about me and that really struck a chord in me thinking like she's suffering on a daily basis and I didn't feel like I knew exactly what to tell her you know what do parents do what are some steps that parents can take if a child comes to them and and says they're being bullied? One of the things is always is to validate the experience no matter what. And it seems like a really simple thing to say, but some parents, you know, based on their own experiences may dismiss it, but to really listen and to validate what the child is saying and to reassure them. One of the things that youth often fear is that their parents are going to go to the school and make a big scene and make everything Mm -hmm. worse. And that's one of the things that prevents people from telling them. So to keep those lines of communication open with your child, even before anything would ever happen, to let them know that if you do come to me with something, we're going to talk about it together. We're going to make a plan together. Unless that child is in danger and then, you know, all bets are off. You have to secure the safety of that child. Uh, Reagan, I think you were you were telling me last time when we spoke about um, how how your mom has supported you. Um, you want to share a little bit of that? Yes, um, my <laughs> mom is the bestest mom ever, and I'm not just saying that because she's sitting right here. Um, she's one of those people who knows me almost better than I know myself. She knows when I'm not myself. She knows when something's bothering me, and she's always there no matter what. I mean, sometimes I really don't want to tell her what's going on, but she knows that it's for my own good to tell her what's going on. And once I do, I usually feel better talking about it. And she she also is one of those moms that might go into the school, but that's only if the <laughs> My situation mom did the same. <laughs> that's only if the situation gets really bad. But to know that she's there for me no matter what happens, if I'm in trouble, if I did something bad, if I'm having a really hard time, she's there for me no matter what. And she's she's just oh I can't even she's the she's just the best and I, I just love her so much. And to have a parent that backs you up like that and that's there for you, it just it really helps whenever you're going through something. 
Right. I think one of the things, too, is to sort of keep in mind as you're raising your children is um, sort of you can do some things to sort of bully, not bully-proof all the way, but make them uh, make children a little more resilient uh, in terms of building their self-esteem along the way. I think that that um, maintaining that healthy balance of um, relationship and positive communication um, and that connection with your with your uh, child is so important. Um, and to be able to have that student or uh, child talk to you about anything uh, without getting um, in trouble for bringing up a conversation or asking about a topic or um, and then having an open dialogue about different things about their day. Another thing is, um, you know, sort of being the parent and not the friend. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that oftentimes um, parents are spending a lot more time with their students uh, regularly, and so it's really important that we keep um, um, those boundaries where you have um, limits, set limits, parents um, setting limits and being firm but fair and having conversations about and maybe negotiations about the rules at home but stick, sticking to things um, I think is really important. And, that, and then just one mm -hmm. more important part is um, not rescuing all the time. Mm -hmm. Parents tend to rescue their students or their kids um, and keep them from um, situations where they feel like they might um, uh, fail. Um, it's important to have um, situations or set up situations or support students through their own like decision-making and problem-solving processes so that when they become adults and they're not within your protective care that they have the ability to um, to face a difficult situation and problem-solve on their own or you know nowhere to go for assistance if needed so that they are always reliant on an adult around them mm -hmm. um, so that they become more and more independent so um, and certainly not in a, in a dangerous situation in an ongoing bullying situation they would need to reach out to help um, but in, in other situations to practice along the way so that that makes them more resilient. And the more resilient you are, the less impact the bullying piece might become. Reagan, with your situation, were you able to resolve that um, issue? Was it, was it your best friend that really supported you through that? Or how, how, did, you, how did you deal with that? Well, it was definitely difficult because I'm the kind of person who lets whatever people say get to me all the time, and it's I shouldn't do that, but it's really hard not to. So when people are literally not talking to you because somebody else said something that's not true, and whatever you tell them, they don't believe, it was it was really really not fun. Mm -hmm. And I my best friend, she was there the whole time, and she sat with me no matter what, and she didn't care what other people thought. She was there, and I think that's one of something that's really important is to have a good support system, is to have those friends that are there for you no matter what. I mean, I have a friend and they told me, they said, I don't care what's going on. I don't care if I'm busy or at school or doing something. If you call me, I'll pick up and I'll be there to talk to you no matter what. And so when you have those kind of friends, it helps so much. And I think because I had my friend and because I have the friends I do these days, the relationships I have these days, that's how I get through most of what happens. A lot of times people don't know how to be allies. So we, we know that from the stats that people witness bullying all the time, but yet people don't want to stand up and say something. You know, what are the, what's the evidence or what do you guys think in terms of when someone does stand up for them? Are they then a target for bullying or most of the cases, does it just stop if someone stands up for them? There is some data to suggest that when people stand up, um, that bullying situations will stop. Um, but that isn't always the case. And for a lot of people, they're afraid. 
to do that because they will then become the target. And usually those fears are well-founded. You know, people are very savvy to the, their environment and their school and what's gonna happen. And there's actually a very large study that was done, it's a Youth Voices project, talking to youth about what was most helpful to them. And what they found is most, most youth preferred private support rather than public. Mm-hmm. So calling someone, texting them, you know, saying, hey, I don't believe what they're saying. Those kinds of private support meant a tremendous amount. And it may seem like something little, but for somebody who feels very isolated and rejected, those little things can mean a tremendous amount and make a tremendous difference. So it doesn't always have to be a public display of standing mm-hmm. up. Um, that private support can make all the difference. And uh, speaking to that as well, the research also shows that the um, yeah, having that targeted intervention, that quiet, targeted, behind-the-scenes kind of intervention is really a, a really popular or positive um, impactful way. At the schools, I know that sometimes um, parents or students are reluctant to share with their school counselor or their social worker or the school psychologist because they think it's going to be make things worse. But really, we're also very savvy on how to help support students um, behind the scenes. Um, when we get uh, teachers and um, other support staff involved, um, we can be um, extra pair of eyes. And so um, oftentimes, this bullying piece um, is sort of underground um, and unless the schools know about things then we can't really help intervene but if we know then we can watch more closely and then um, intervene right at the right at the level of or seeing it sometimes these are little subtle things that happen in a classroom that the teachers once cued in um, can really make some targeted discreet um, interventions that really shut down the bully um, and really make a, a positive impact. We've had a lot of really great success at schools doing this, so I want to encourage parents to and, and students to share um, with, uh, with schools. And the schools, t- too, are very sensitive about um, students' perceptions. So if a student comes to us and says, I really don't want you to do anything about this, I mean, we won't. We would talk to parents and certainly get parents involved, but we wouldn't intervene uh, or we would try to work out a solution with the student involved in the, the solution part so that everybody is on board and feels comfortable about what would happen next uh, to make the bullying stop. So we talked a lot about you know, victims of bullying, but what do you do if your child is the bully? You know, like how do you tell if your child is bullying other people? And then what would, what advice would you give to parents who discover that their child is the bully? So you might suspect that your child is bullying others if they um, are fans of aggressive uh, behavior, if they're hanging out with other people that engage in that sort of behavior. You know, if they have new possessions and you don't know where they got them from. Um, if they blame others for their problems, you know, or if there's a situation that comes up and they say, well, they were acting that way, I had mm-hmm. to do that, you know, sort of deflecting responsibility um, are things that you might suspect. You know, certainly if you do find out that your child is engaging in that behavior, again, you want to figure out why that is. The first message that needs to be conveyed to them is that bullying is unacceptable for any reason and then to figure out why. That might mean a psychological or psychiatric evaluation and treatment. It may mean extracurricular like leadership programs or mentoring programs or empathy building experiences, but to try and figure out why they're engaging in that behavior and then to try and address that root cause. You know, unfortunately, sometimes 
um, youth who engage in that behavior are modeling behavior that they're seeing at home in their community, and that makes it much more challenging. And the school then has to, you know, step in and say, well, in our environment at school, this is not acceptable. You know, what it may happen in your neighborhood or happen elsewhere, but here, those that behavior is is not condoned. So what do you do if you are told that your child is the bully, but the parent then is in denial that their child is the bully? They can't believe their child would do that. Have you had situations like that? Um, And how do you resolve that? I will speak on the school's perspective that we do have um, parents who really are um, not believing that it's their child because Oftentimes, or sometimes, they're a popular student. The bully might be a popular student. They might be um, very savvy. They know all the right things to say. They're very smooth, and they can, you know, and all of their bullying is really sort of underground and sort of a, a you know, that slow drip method. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's difficult for their parent to understand that they are the ones who are um, um, are the bully. So. It's important for the schools to um, to sit with the parents and to talk through and and the student and getting to the student uh, really is the is the key. Um, the parent also can be part of the conversation and is is important an important piece. And that's why we were talking earlier about some documentation and how it's nice to have if if there is that cyberbullying piece going on that you can show some hard copy or some uh, very concrete examples to a non-believing parent Mm -hmm. um, so that there is some information there. And then it's really important too so that um, the um, parents are working through sort of the school or another um, adult uh, versus going directly through to um, the other, the, the victim's parents because that, you want to speak to that. Right, one of the misconceptions for a lot of adults is if their child is being bullied, they think if they just talk to the parent of the person who's engaging in that behavior, they'll have this reasonable discussion, they'll recognize the behavior, it will all stop. But unfortunately, that often is not the case. Um, often things escalate, sometimes entire communities get involved and get divided, it can ruin you know, friendships that have gone on for decades. And so it's really important to try and work through the school. Um, and not so go it's a bad parent. idea for parent and parent to talk because my mom used to do that all the time. <laughs> she would just go over and say, "Let me talk to his mom," you know. So and, and, it, and actually, that might make things worse. Right. Mm-hmm. Reagan, when you were getting targeted, how did did you engage with them? Or did you ignore them? How did you deal with that? Well, usually when I something like that happened, I didn't really know what to do in the situation because I don't I don't know. I think the fact that they were that this was going on, well, actually, let me back up. So when there was the rumor that was spread about me, I was by myself at my house. Mm-hmm. So I just cried in my room because I was alone. But when you're when you're not alone, it's really difficult. There was someone who was sitting right next to me, actually, who was literally trash-talking me right to my face, and I didn't know how to respond. I was too scared to say something because I'm just a nervous person, so I was too nervous to say something, but I was also... Like, I didn't want to cry in front of her. I didn't want to mm-hmm. let her get to me. So I just kind of kind of just like stood there. I put like a mask on or something and just stood there and took it. And then I just got up and walked away. And then I, I just ended up walking up to the bathroom. But when you left, left, did you feel like it stopped at that point? Like you disengaging, not saying anything back, it sort of stopped. Mm-hmm. I mean, as she, I looked at her. I had like this, you know, like the cry sound when you're about to start crying. So that's how I sounded. So I kind of looked like a wuss. But oh, I looked no. at her and I... I told her, I was like, you need to stop. Like, this is not okay. And I said, you're really making me feel really bad about myself right now. And I don't know if this is making you feel better, but 
there's no point in it. And I just got up and walked away. So it seemed to stop after that. But of course, she was whispering to her friends and everything. But targeted for a specific reason. People I'm a goody two shoes all the time. <laughs> they they I don't have a ton of friends, but I have a few really good ones. And so the fact that I don't have a ton of friends makes me seem like I'm a loser and I'm lonely. And I follow the rules. I don't go to parties and drink or anything. So people think I'm a goody two shoes. And that's what they pick at me for a lot. And maybe they're just jealous of the fact that you're so successful and you do so well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I just wanted to mention one thing that you've, Reagan, spoken um, the benefit of having good friends, or even having just one good friend. And the literature really bears that out, that having a friend can be protective against a lot of the consequences of being bullied. So sometimes parents can be providing opportunities for their child to have positive peer interactions at places away from school, you know, areas of interest or extracurricular, whether it's sports or theater or arts, if they're able to, can really make a difference for that child if they really don't have any good friends at school. And it's sort of a misconception that everyone does. You know, some kids really don't have good friends at school. Bullies often go on to perpetrate violence later in life. Like 40% of boys identified as bullies in grades six through nine are three times more likely to have arrests by the age of 30. What are some of the health consequences of being bullied and of being a bully and some of the long-term consequences? So um, for a child who is being bullied, they're at risk for anxiety, depression, decreased self-esteem, loneliness, PTSD, suicidality, substance abuse, physical symptoms like headaches, abdominal pain, back pain, dizziness, even more frequent upper respiratory infections. PTSD like post-traumatic stress disorder. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's not, you know, that's just a sampling of the things that they're at risk for. We know that some of those effects can be lifelong. We know that youth, females in particular, who are bullied in early in life are more at risk to be obese in the fifth decade of life. Mm. We know that something called C-reactive protein, which is a hallmark of inflammation, which underlies a lot of disease processes for youth who are bullied, that's more likely to be elevated in young adulthood. So there's really quite a number of um, serious health consequences. There's something called um, early or adverse childhood experiences that you may have heard of. There's been a lot in the media recently about it. And we know that that bullying can be an adverse childhood experience, and that can actually affect someone in in terms of their developing immune system, their neurodevelopment, their cardiovascular system, their metabolic regulatory controls, and that can have a lifelong impact. For youth who who are the bully or are perpetrating the bullying behavior, They too are at risk for depression, anxiety, substance abuse, suicidality, delinquent or criminal behavior. They're more likely to become perpetrators of um, domestic violence. So they're at quite a number of risks too. Also headaches, abdominal pain, back pain, so some physical symptoms. These are serious things. Very serious. um, You know, parents, a lot of times, if their child is the bully, they might sort of shrug it off um, because they're not seeing a lot of problems for their child back home, but I think really thinking about the consequences that bullying has on your child, whether your child is the bully or your child is being bullied, they're very severe, and that we really need to do a lot more in preventing and protecting our kids. When a bullying situation is not dealt with, you're really hurting both children. You're giving the child who's perpetrating that behavior, you're not giving them the opportunity to really get at the root cause of what's causing that and really change the trajectory of their life. And I'd just like to mention one other thing, that youth who witness bullying are also at increased risk, a category that's by far the largest of youth that we often don't think about. And we're often asking them to intervene, Mm -hmm. but we're not sort of honoring the impact that they have. So they're also at risk for depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, and substance abuse. And one last group that I have to mention is what in the research we call the bully victim. So someone who's both been a recipient of bullying behavior and engaged in perpetrating bullying behavior, and they by far at the highest risk of mental health uh, poor outcomes. So what 
so as a parent, you might ask if your child is being bullied, you'll say, just ignore them or don't say anything back. And other parents will say, fight back and stand up for yourself. Is there any research that says one way is better than the other? Usually saying nothing or doing nothing is um, sort of the worst case scenario. Um, teaching students to um, have sort of a comeback, a positive comeback uh, to verbal bullying, at least. Um, if somebody's calling you names or saying things to you, um, something like, you know, like, have a nice day, uh, or, um, you know, I, I, I like your shirt, or um, I hear what you're saying, I don't agree, something to let the bully know that, yeah, I hear you, but I'm not going to engage. Um, bullying is, um, is the power piece where you are looking at a, um, like a tug of war. Um, and if you can sort of drop your end of the rope and just be neutral, um, but let the bully know that, yeah, I hear you, but it's not going to be, you know, put on your best poker face. Don't let them let you see, you know, <laughs> don't let them let you see them cry. You know, don't let them see you cry. Um, kind of situation where you are um, trying to be strong. You can go cry in the bathroom <laughs> away from everybody. But, but sh you know, put up a good show and just say, you know, and, and typically if you can um, hold that, course for a week or two, then uh, typically the bully will move on or whatever and, and, um, and, and go on to something else because they are looking for that power and that domination over what you are. And if you don't allow them that, then that's um, a good piece. Now with cyberbullying, that's a different story because that's really hard to fight and combat. And that's where you try to um, um, you know, have that good uh, solid friendship base and that good uh, support system to help you through that time. Um, and usually doesn't last too long, but you need to get some adults involved um, when it gets to a, a, a point where you're really feeling uncomfortable. So for cyberbullying, um, any specific strategies such as, you know, deleting that person off of your page or not uh, encouraging people not to like certain things or sharing any, any strategies in terms of how to end cyberbullying or de decrease it? So definitely you don't want to um, delete the message um, because that can be used as evidence for you, the service provider to get that person off that platform. Uh -huh. um, but you do want to block them so you don't keep receiving those kind of messages. There are so many different social media platforms now and there's gaming and there's you know all sorts of messaging apps. I've given up trying to keep up on all of them. <laughs> but there are people who do. And there are ways to report um, cyberbullying on every single platform that exists. And because of the attention that cyberbullying has garnered, um, companies are much more likely to respond. They're, they become much more effective in terms of looking into those incidents and trying to um, block them or block the person or take down their platform or their ability to do that. So um, if there's, you know, someone is being cyberbullied on a platform that the parent has never heard of and the child may not know how to, to report something, there are definite places, you know, I'll just say one is cyberbullying.org because it's an easy way to go, who will tell you every single one and how to report something and will be very helpful. Documentation is key. Like a lot of people will say document all the times that you're being bullied. So in case it does escalate to some sort of situation, you have concrete examples. Absolutely. Especially if someone's going to a school, for example, and going to have a meeting with school, um, to have it all documented. We're a society that responds to documentation, you know, even better if it's typewritten. Um, mm -hmm. And that way, especially because those meetings, you know, it's an emotional topic. And that way you can make sure that you've conveyed all the things that have happened and that it leads to a more productive discussion, or it can certainly, rather than trying to remember in the heat of the moment. 
um, all the different things that have happened. So Dr. Seltzer, can you tell us a little bit about Noble and the initiative um, and how you got involved in that? I mean, you're an OBGYN, so getting into um, anti-bullying and how, how did you start that and what is that program? So very briefly, I've always been interested in what I refer to as the psychosocial issues of medicine. Um, and I became very aware because of media reports about the impact that bullying was having on youth. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought that healthcare needed to have an active role in trying to do something about it, that it really wasn't just the school's responsibility, really it's the community's responsibility at large. It's a public health problem. And so I ended up leaving my practice to found an anti-bullying initiative, NOBLE, which stands for No Bullying, Live Empowered at Beaumont Children's. And we really try to be a resource for the community, whether that's providing information about legislation, whether that's guidance for people who are going to talk to schools, whether someone's looking for mental health you know, therapy for their child or for themselves, whatever they may need. Um, we also engage with um, program development with other stakeholders in the community. For example, we have a hotline that's managed by Common Ground, which is a local nonprofit crisis agency. Um, and a variety of other programs. So we do some research. And uh, something that's very near and dear to my heart is really um, trying to educate physicians about this issue. So they become active participants in terms of screening with their patients um, and knowing what to do if their patient is being impacted by bullying. Are there any other resources that you guys want to share in terms of um, where to go for help, um, whether through the school system or through the healthcare provider? Um, typically at the schools we have um, websites that are mental health related and so um, parents can also um, access information through the, their local school uh, mental health uh, websites would be um, I think a really good uh, resource or talking with a school counselor. Mm-hmm. Are there any specific websites that Noble has or does Noble have a website? Noble does have a website. There's a number of really excellent websites out there. So. I'll just mention a few. Mm-hmm. Stopbullying.gov is actually very, it's all evidence-based. It's very sort of bullet points, so you get your information you know, quickly, um, just the facts, and they can have the evidence to back that up. It's an excellent resource. They've done a really good job. The Bully Project is a, sort of an offspring of the documentary Bully. Um, it's turned into a social action sort of campaign, and they have information for youth, for parents, for teachers. They have it in Spanish. Um, they've done a wonderful job with really wonderful partners to try and get information out. Um, PACER, which is an organization, they have PACER's National Bullying Prevention Center, um, they really focus with youth with disabilities in particular, so if you have a child with a disability that might be impacted, a lot of really excellent information there. And then cyberbullying.org, which is for anything cyberbullying. And then all these organizations have links to other ones that are reputable. So Reagan, have you heard of any of these before? Uh, no. Um, yeah, no, definitely not. But I. Um, I think for kids, they won't go on a website. I think websites are really great for parents, mm-hmm. but us kids, we don't, that's not where we'd go. We would, I don't, honestly, we, I kind of like, we bottle everything and we don't know where to go for resources, so we would never go to websites. But I think it's a really good thing for parents to go to so they can learn more about this stuff. What would we, do you think would help? stop bullying at your school? If there was an anti-bullying campaign or like an educational, uh, there was a documentary or a video that shared uh, for the bullying project, correct? I think there was a documentary that came out several years ago. Yeah. If that was shared, do you think that'd be welcomed in the school community or do you think people would just sort of shrug it off? Uh, I also think that depends on the person, but I think high school students, we know that bullying is bad and we know that you're not supposed to do it, but I don't think we uh, understand 
it unless something personal has happened to us. Mm -hmm. I think you're more likely to be sympathetic to it and to understand the severity of the issue when it's happened to you. And I know that from personal experience, I know how bad bullying is because it's happened to me. But there are some kids who don't really understand it and they, they don't care to understand it unless they've had a personal experience. So I think if we did something to show them personally how bad it can affect people and how bad the issue is, if they saw with their own eyes and saw, I guess, a better way for them to really understand, I think they'd respond to it. But I think it's all about getting them at the angle where it'll almost like tug at their heartstrings because, mm-hmm. you know, there's they have these big personalities where, you know, they're not, they're cool, they don't have any feelings, but if you can get to where kind of like knock them, not knock them down, but break them down a little bit to where they're showing their feelings and you hit their feelings hard, I think they'll they'll understand better. Yeah, I think walking in someone else's shoes is very powerful. Yes. Um, One last question, because we're almost out of time here. But um, as an adult, have either of you ever felt like you've been targeted um, or been bullied as an adult in the workplace or um, in your private lives? I personally haven't, but I will tell you that when I, especially when I first started Noble, I got many phone calls from people who were experiencing workplace bullying. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't just stop in childhood. If, it, if we don't take care of it, I think it sort of perpetrates and, and turns into adult bullying at times. It goes, it's well into college and graduate education and into the workplace. Well, I thank you three for being here today and sharing your insights and stories. Um, Reagan, thank you so much. Lisa, Corey, thank you so much. And Dr. Seltzer, thank you. Um, It's only through discussion that we can stop bullying. Don't forget, podcast listeners, we're working on future Beaumont House Call podcasts. We're looking into how to care for aging parents, uh, the role of uh, unconscious bias in healthcare, and the keto diet. Is it good for you? We also want to remind you to send along any questions to podcast at beaumont.org. In future podcasts, we'll be answering our mailbag. Till next time, thanks for joining us on Beaumont House Call. We leave you today with this healthy thought. The stronger a child's self-image is, the less vulnerable he or she will be to bullying. The messages we tell ourselves and the beliefs we internalize about adversity we face makes all the difference. We are responsible for the energy we bring into the room. Whether it's being an advocate against bullying, being an ally, or standing up for ourselves by getting the help that we need, we need to help support people against bullying. Let your child know that bullying is unacceptable and there are serious consequences at home, school, and in the community if it continues. If your child is the bully, try to understand reasons why your child is behaving this way. In some cases, kids bully because they have trouble managing their own emotions, like anger or frustration or insecurity. In other cases, kids just haven't learned cooperative ways to work out conflicts. Teach your kids that it's wrong to ridicule differences like race, religion, appearance, special needs, gender, economic status. Try to instill some sort of empathy for those who are different than you. Consider getting involved in community groups where your child can interact with kids that are different than them and celebrate diversity. Instead of highlighting our differences in a negative way, let's learn to respect others' opinions and be more tolerant of each other. We're all human, and none are less human than the other. We can all be just a little kinder, put ourselves in the shoes of another, and end bullying. Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. 
Visit Beaumont.org slash podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast.